I'm going to start this episode by asking you a simple question. Do you have the right to videotape the police? I think most of us would answer yes. Some of you might even add, it's my constitutional right to record the police, especially if they are violating someone else's civil rights. But in reality, the answer is not so simple. On August 4th, 2014, Levi Frazier was driving to work in Denver, Colorado, when he noticed the police had stopped and detained someone in a parking lot. Levi pulled his van over and started recording the arrest on his tablet. The suspect was clearly resisting arrest. In fact, this was a drug bust, and he had taken a sock from his waistband and stuffed it into his mouth. The police thought it contained contraband, and they demanded the suspect spit the drugs out. That's what you can hear on the video Levi Frazier recorded. Spit the drugs out! When the suspect didn't comply, Get the drugs out! one of the police officers punched him six times in the face. Those were the hardest punches I've ever heard, Frazier told a local Denver station. I've seen some people get punched in the ring and on TV and whatnot, but the sound of those resonating, I mean, it was scary. Then, in the scuffle for the drugs, one of the officers tripped the suspect's girlfriend, who at the time was seven months pregnant. But the point of the story is not whether the officers had the right to punch the suspect or trip his pregnant girlfriend, but rather whether Levi Frazier had the right to record them doing it. And because of qualified immunity... The answer isn't as simple as you might think. Get out the car. Recording. Yeah, I'm recording. Walter Scott, Eric Garner, Oscar Grant, George Floyd. The list of cell phone video showing the police violating someone's civil rights and worse is depressingly long. And it's growing each day. You're not complying with me. When I tell you to do something, you fucking do it. I am. As Will Smith said, racism isn't getting worse, it's getting filmed. So I think it might come as a surprise to you to learn that the United States Supreme Court has never weighed in on whether you or I have the right to record the police. For now, that right depends entirely on where you live. Which brings us back to qualified immunity and to the video Levi Frazier recorded. After the Denver police subdued and arrested the suspect, they demanded Levi hand over the tablet he used to record them. Then, without his consent, they deleted the video he had taken. Frazier eventually recovered his video from the cloud, but sued the city of Denver and the officers involved for violating his First Amendment rights. And here's where the story gets absurd, completely upside down even, because of qualified immunity. Since 2007, the city of Denver has trained its police officers that private citizens have the right to film them. In fact, the officers who took Levi Frazier's tablet and deleted his video admitted they knew Levi had the right to film the arrest. But when Levi's case got to the Tenth Circuit Court, the officers were granted qualified immunity. Why? 
because there was no precedent within the Tenth Circuit that clearly established Levi's right to record the police with a smartphone or a tablet. Think about it for a minute. The city of Denver had been training its officers for seven years before this incident took place that the public had the right to record the police. And the officers in this case admitted not only had they been trained that the public had the right to record them, but that they knew Levi Frazier had the right when they took his tablet and deleted his video. But, because there was no prior case with a similar set of facts, the Tenth Circuit Court ruled that the right to videotape the Denver police was not, quote, clearly established, unquote, and they granted the officers qualified immunity and dismissed the case against them. So, if you live anywhere in Colorado or Utah or Oklahoma or anywhere within the Tenth Circuit Court's jurisdiction, it is not well-established law that you have the right to videotape the police, which doesn't mean you can't do it. It just means you can't sue the police for violating your First Amendment rights when they take your phone and delete your video. And that, maybe more so than any case we'll discuss in this podcast, illustrates just how absurd, how unjust, and how ultimately unconstitutional qualified immunity actually is. Spit the drugs out! Spit the drugs out! We'll be right back. Welcome back to Unaccountable with me, Ben Cohen. And me, Aloe Black. We're joined now by activist and CNN political commentator Van Jones. Van, thanks for joining us. How are you doing? I'm good. I mean, it's, um, we're in the sort of best of times, worst of times. We're you know, seeing more uh, evidence of injustice but also we're seeing more of an uprising in resistance. So uh, some days I'm good, some days I'm bad, but today I feel pretty good. I hear you. I, I, f- I feel like this uprising in resistance is important. We do see more injustice, but people are seeing it. Everybody is seeing it and they can't ignore it. It's playing a part in their everyday movements and thoughts. And that is important because... When you can't ignore something, eventually you have to do something about it. Amen. Agree, agree. That's the key, doing something about it. Van, I want to start by asking you, as we do with all our guests, why are you here? And why is ending qualified immunity so important to you? Well, look, I've been working on uh, police reform, juvenile justice, criminal justice uh, for almost 30 years. I always say 25, so it sounds better, but it's almost 30 years at this point. I um, got a law school in 1993. It was a year after Rodney King. And here I was at you know, Yale Law School, learning about all this liberty and justice and due process and all sort of stuff in the law library. And I look on TV, and it's the opposite. And then you see the verdict, and the, you know, this jury comes back and says it's okay for four police officers just to beat the living daylights out of, out of somebody. Um, 60-some times, I think, they kicked the guy, hit the guy. So... You know, as a 23, 24-year-old, you know, black kid with dreadlocks and a law degree, I said, I'm going to sue cops. (laughs) I'm not going to Wall Street. I'm not going to Washington, D.C. I'm going to Oakland, California to sue the police. And um, that's what I've been a part of for the better part of three decades now. You know, what I'll say about it is that um, the qualified immunity piece, it's really a painful piece. Look, you can get some things done. Uh, with qualified immunity in place, 
you know, you can get a police officer disciplined, demoted, or fired if you've got the right police chief, I suppose. Uh, that's administrative, not civil court. You can get something done in criminal court. You just saw that with Derek Chauvin. Rarely happens, but you can get it done. You know, that's criminal court. But, you know, the family, when they get their life, you know, turned upside down by some cop doing crazy stuff, yes, they want the officer disciplined, demoted, or fired. They would love the cop to go to jail, but they also need to be compensated for what happened to them. Somebody needs to write a check to that family. And part of writing that check is you're acknowledging something. When you're writing a check, you're acknowledging that you did harm and that you are compensating the person that you hurt. In in qualified immunity, uh, in civil court, cops never have to do that. No matter what they did, no matter what, how much harm they caused, no matter how ridiculous it was, the taxpayer is going to have to write the check uh, if the check's going to be written. And so the police officer gets to keep his extra motorcycle, gets to keep her vacation home, gets to keep her, you know, savings, whatever, you know, you know, is precious to that person. They get to keep all that stuff, no matter what they do. So they're always rolling somebody else's dice. They're never rolling their own dice when they're out there. They're rolling the taxpayer's dice. They're rolling the police department's dice. They're not rolling their own personal dice. I can't say for sure that if a police officer thought they would have to reach in their own pocket and compensate somebody, they would act differently. But I can't imagine that they would act worse than they do if they had to do that. And they'd probably act a little bit better. And so uh, it's just one of those things that doesn't make sense. It was never created by Congress. It was never created by a president. It was something that a court just made up out of whole cloth that has given people uh, a sense that the police can get away with literally murder and never have to pay a personal cost. It's, it, it is really unfortunate that this doctrine was just made up by the Supreme Court and ultimately leaves families and victims without a sense or any recourse of civil justice. The hard part is getting the public to recognize that the culture that stems from this kind of immunity creates a God complex within the police departments. And even then, when there is a civil suit, if a police officer loses, they're rarely responsible for paying anything out of pocket. Municipalities, cities indemnify the police. Yeah. It's hard to imagine. Now, look, I suppose that, you know, if qualified immunity goes away, that then, you know, probably most police officers, they might get insurance or something. But the fact you got to pay your insurance premiums, you know, the fact that if your insurance company has to wind up covering that cost, your premiums are going to go through the roof. At some point, once you have qualified immunity out of the way, it really bad acting officers are going to have to deal with it financially. And and for some people, that may be the only thing they care about. I mean, you know, you had you know, Derek Chauvin, the horrific officer, murderer, who, who lynched um, George Floyd in, in broad daylight in front of the whole world. He had had multiple complaints against him. That wasn't his first complaint. So the complaint process is broken. The administrative process is broken, obviously. Then you look at the criminal prosecution piece. Everybody forgets this. I will never forget this. The initial documents that came out when Derek Chauvin murdered George Floyd, 
The police department said the guy just died of a medical incident. They never acknowledged what had happened. That's the official police report. And he just died of a medical issue. Then the local prosecutor was so obviously and flagrantly trying to throw the case that the governor of the state had to step in and take away the case from local prosecutors and then give the case to uh, Keith Ellison, African-American Muslim attorney general, who then, I mean, he put on a case for the ages to, uh, to make sure that justice was done. But think about that. Even with a case as brutal, as obvious, as well-documented, and as horrific as Derek Chauvin, left to its own devices, the police department would have covered it up and the local prosecutor would have done nothing. And so you had to have the governor of the state give a an African-American Muslim attorney general the right to prosecute it to get the outcome. So the criminal prosecution part is also broken. So all you're left with is civil court. Most of the time, if anything is going to happen, positive for the family, it's going to come out of civil court. And you run right into the buzzsaw in civil court of qualified immunity. So if you wonder why people are out here marching and protesting upset, and oh, well, it's, it's you know, only so, you know, it's not that many black people get killed by the police, blah, blah, blah. Well, hold on a second. Excuse me. If you had a group of people that was running around castrating white men, would they have to castrate a bunch of them? Be to care? I mean, how many <laughs> would, would that, snip snips would have to happen before you had a massive response, okay, from society saying, hey, you guys got to cut this stuff out. So it's not, you know, and then, you know, these murders, they're just the tip of the iceberg. If you have these type of murders, you know, 100, 200 every year, unarmed, you know, uh, 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 people or often un- unarmed people, that's, I mean, that's the last thing that happens. I mean, how many uh, disrespectful interactions, how many calling somebody uh, the N-word, how many unnecessary police stops, how many uh, handcuffs on too tight, how many humiliations have, have happened underneath that small number with no recourse at all, with no videotapes at all. So you have a very, very big problem here. And I think that, again, there, there are parts of the system that can be improved uh, without uh, budging on qualified immunity. But I tell you what, that's the pillar in civil court. In civil court, that's the pillar. Uh, Holds up a lot of this nonsense. I mean, if you don't hold people accountable, you can pass any regulations you want, but it's kind of like, wink, wink, hey, you don't really have to do it because if you don't follow these regulations, there's no accountability. We don't really care. And I think that's that's why people get frustrated with it. Well, we need better training. Okay. But here's the deal. I grew up in a law enforcement family, so this stuff is not abstract to me. Um, you know, my dad was a cop in the military. My favorite uncle was a police officer. Had a cousin that was a prison guard. So I, I understand. Police are not saints or superheroes. They're city employees, just like everybody else. You got just like bus drivers, just like school teachers. You got good ones and bad ones. Nobody says you hate America if you say that you have some bad bus drivers. <laughs> But you hate America if you say there's some bad cops. That's insane. These are just city employees. And so take any other situation where you're dealing with city employees. Suppose you tell the bus drivers you have to show up at 7 a.m. every shift in order to uh, get your bus and do your job. 
and and I mean, there's trainings for it. I mean, they 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 buy you a watch. Every sign says show up at seven o'clock in the morning. You have T-shirts that say we show up at seven o'clock in the morning, and you show up at seven o'clock in the morning. Your first day, and there's nobody there, and nobody gets there till eight fifteen. I don't care how great you are. At a certain point, you're going to stop showing up at seven a.m. The training told you to show up. The the the, the t-shirts, the all you know, just a you know, protect and serve, and all the stuff on the side of these cars. But when you see that in practice, nobody follows this rule and nobody gets in trouble. You're I don't you're not that great. You will show up at seven o three. You'll show up at 713. You may not be showing up at 9, but you're going to start to slide because that's the culture. Now, nobody said I hate America. I'm talking about bus drivers, city employees, responding rationally to the signals and the signs and the accountability that they are being exposed to. Nobody said I hate America. Now, if I say the same thing about the police department, I hate America. Hold on a second, guys. We're talking about human beings. We're talking about rational behavior. We're talking about incentives. And if there is no punishment, no uh, consequence for bad behavior, you're going to see bad behavior everywhere. Bus drivers, police departments, kindergarten classroom. It's the same thing. And that's all we're saying. And Congress passed a law specifically to deal with this situation. They had a situation where cops were not following the law, where they were abusing people. And they specifically passed a law and said, well, to take care of this, we're going to allow regular old people to sue cops who abuse them. And that that law worked great for 100 years. And then the Supreme Court got rid of it. Well, that brings us to today where we're trying to restore the original intent of this civil rights law. And we have the House of Representatives passing the Justice and Policing Act. And now this act is being held up in the Senate because no one can agree that everyone should be held accountable for their actions. One of the true heroes in this whole situation is Representative uh, Karen Bass, uh, you know, African-American, California representative, comes out of the grassroots, true grassroots, been working on these issues since the Rodney King days. And she's the person who steered the whole big package through the house that had the qualified immunity language in it that we like. She's the person who's kind of sitting across the table uh, representing the house uh, from Tim Scott, who's a Republican representing the Senate. And so she's in that, she's, she's in that hard arm wrestling match. And um, a lot of times I think the women in our movements and in our elected official capacities don't get the acknowledgement that they deserve, but we wouldn't have gotten even this far without Karen Bass. And she started here in Los Angeles back during the Rodney King days as a community leader trying to put things back together. She knows how bad things can get if you don't deal with police accountability. And now we're so blessed to have her sitting in the halls of Congress, which was not even on her mind almost 30 years ago, uh, maybe able to bring it across the finish line. Let's talk about qualified immunity in the context of wider police reforms going on in America right now, specifically with this Justice in Policing Act. You know, what is the Justice in Policing Act and where are we at with it? Well, we're stuck right now. We have an impasse between the Republicans and the Democrats where there's a disagreement about qualified immunity. And I could smell it early on when 
Tim Scott was put in charge of police reform by Mitch McConnell. And the word that came from the conservatives and Republicans was that the White House says we're not budging on qualified immunity. So that's a non-starter. That's the language they use, non-starter. Well, in our history, I've, I've seen how that non-starter conversation has, has been used over and over again. We can't end slavery. Ending slavery is a non-starter. Oh, we can't end Jim Crow. Ending Jim Crow is a non-starter. And so they keep moving the goalpost, but then holding the line on certain things. And this is one of those things when they say it's a non-starter, we know exactly that it is the pressure point to be pushing. It is the meaningful change that we need to make. And the only cops that it affects are bad cops. I mean, good cops, cops that are following the law, it has no effect on them. We're just trying to hold bad cops accountable, and somehow or other, this is un-American. Van, you've been through the halls of Congress. You've spoken to many of our lawmakers on both sides. Where do you see the impasse in the JPA? Well, uh, I think you put your finger on it. Um, Part of the problem is that we have to have 60 votes in the U.S. Senate and not 51. And so that means you've got to get at least nine Republicans to come over. The minute you're in that world, because of the filibuster, the minute you're in that world, now you're having a different conversation. What can you get nine Republicans to agree with? Banning the chokehold? Probably get that. Maybe having a registry for bad cops can probably get that. Maybe saying that the police have a duty to intervene if they see a cop breaking the law, that the cop needs to enforce the law against the other cop, probably get that. So there's a bunch of stuff you can probably get. But to your point, trying to get a Republican to understand that Officer Friendly, who's only been kind to them and helped their grandma get the kitten out of the tree and all that sort of stuff, needs to be on the hook. You know, for the, you know, possibly losing their house and car and uh, kids, college saving and everything else. They do something to to, uh, somebody who looks like me as a head scratcher. But where we are now, I think people need to be standing very strong on the qualified immunity point. Because one way or the other, it's either going to be in there, which is a victory. And if it's not going to be in there, the cost of this Congress trying to pass something without that should be we get a gazillion other things. I mean, like, like we should be hugging onto that with so much force that to pry our fingers off of it, even for a minute, means the Democrats would have to get so much other stuff out of the deal, <laughs> you know, to make up for it. Like, Democrats going to say, how am I going to go back to my community and, and, and open and break breath <laughs> to say we pass something without qualified immunity? You're going to have to give me so much stuff <laughs> just to keep the community from tearing me apart. <laughs> So that then that way we, you try to win either way. But, you know, I've learned the hard way that the distance between the streets and, and, and reality and what goes on in the halls of Congress is massive. Uh, Elon Musk is going to have a much easier time getting from Earth to Mars than a regular person has getting from common sense understanding 
to the stuff that goes on in the halls of Congress. But anyway, you ask a question, a simple question. I think that the, the way the Republicans hear what we're talking about is you're going to, you know, some poor police officer, some officer friendly police officer is going to be wrongly accused by some Black Lives Matter mob and lose his, his home farm and everything else. And nobody's going to want to be a good cop and America's going to descend into hell. That's how they see it. And um, it's going to be a very, very tough. It's, it, it's you know, you got exactly right. It's going to be the toughest part of this fight. But we should triple down on it. And and we're just asking for someone abused by the cops to have their day in court to allow a jury to decide whether the cop did something wrong or not. Qualified immunity doesn't even allow the case to get to court, doesn't even allow a jury to hear it. Well, it definitely doesn't allow them to hear it uh, from the point of view of the individual officer. Now, you can still get in a court by suing the city and the, the police departments. You, you, know, you, you can be in civil court uh, and the cop can be sitting there. It's just a cop sitting there, you know, looking out the window at their, uh, you know, SUV <laughs> waiting in there with their uh, uh, fishing trailer hooked up to the back, uh, waiting for the case to be over so they can go off and, 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 and have a great summer and never have to pay two cents to that family that's going to be grieving for the rest of their lives. So, but, but I mean, the, the, the civil courts are open. They're just open with a protective cover over one person in the room. <laughs> so you're still in court. You just can't, you can't reach through that protective cover and pull a wallet out of the, the one person who's actually at fault. This is the reason why you'll see a civil case that results in a payout to a family of a victim. Um, it's because that particular case was brought against potentially the municipality or some part of the infrastructure around the police officer, not the police officer directly. Exactly. Which is, in other words, taxpayers. Us. <laughs> That's our taxpayer money. In other words, <laughs> like literally the community is having to pay itself <laughs> for what the cop is doing. Because that money doesn't come from from uh, the snow, you know, the, the, the Easter Bunny. That 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 money that that city is paying out came from the citizens who lived there, paying sales taxes and every and property taxes. And so your own money is being paid to you for for for, for the brutality, and that never comes out of the cops' pocket. That that's an aspect that I think needs to be shared widely for every city and every citizen to know what it is that their city and region is paying for bad cops. When you get the dollars and cents of it all, you'll realize how much it doesn't make sense to keep footing the bill for bad cops. You know, Van, I want to thank you for joining us. I mean, it's been it's been an enlightening conversation hearing your perspective and your experience in this fight. And if you had one message for any person listening to this podcast, what would it be? Well, I would just say to, to support organizations that are taking on these fights. It's really important, I think, to get involved. And also your social media, everybody's, you're your own Walter Cronkite now. Uh, what you choose to uh, read, watch, and listen to, and what you choose to share, like, and comment on has an impact on the algorithms that kind of run our lives at this point. And um, you know, especially if you're somebody who's from an, an unlikely group, you know, like, like Brother Ben here. You know, when you start posting about qualified immunity in, in some unlikely places, that can have, that can really make people take a second look at it. And at the end of the day, it's public opinion. If the Supreme Court had felt that doing what they did would have created you know, real upset in public opinion and demonstrations and you know, changing the outcome of elections, they wouldn't have felt so emboldened to do it. 
But the reality is that we, we have to change the culture where, you know, doing something that completely advantages one small group of people and disadvantages everybody else is no longer allowed. And um, so, yeah, just, you know, stay loud, stay vocal, stay informed, and let's see if we can win this thing. Thank you. To join the campaign to end qualified immunity, go to holdcopsaccountable.org. There you can stay up to date with the latest on the fight to abolish qualified immunity. So qualified immunity is currently exactly what's being debated in the Senate right now. And right now is when we need your voice to contact your senator to let them know you want to get rid of qualified immunity. Uh, You can call your senator, call the Senate switchboard. We'll give you that number later. Or if you just fill in your email at holdcopsaccountable.org, we'll let you know exactly when it's time to call and exactly what to say. Call the United States Capitol switchboard at 202-224-3121. We'll see you next time. This is a Crowd Network podcast presented by me, Aloe Black, and my co-host, Ben Cohen. It was produced by Luis Gwilliam and Michael Epstein and edited by Mickey Curling. Crowd Network, a place where you belong. <laughs>